Hello everyone, uh, welcome back to the Artist Dialogue. Um, this is a podcast where Ash and myself talk about business, careers and everything in between. Um, I'm Saud and uh, I'm joined by Ash. Hi Ash, how are you doing? I'm good, Saud, yourself? I- I'm good, I'm good. How's your, how's your week been? It's been it's been an, another interesting week. Lots of kind of different things going on in the uh, political environment in the UK for those yeah. who are following it, which is quite um, interesting. Um, reading a lot about um, various economists, you know, just you've you've created a reputation for me that I don't like economists. <laughs> uh, I do, but they mix stuff up. Um, but there a lot of kind of speculation and theory around you know what happens if one or the other comes into power it's a, mm. it's, it's all quite interesting it's a bit it's a bit crystal ball for me because uh, yeah. there's so many variables and so many assumptions um i don't think anyone really kind of um, knows but yeah it's it's the geopolitical and local political environment at the moment it's pretty um active i'd say right now so there's there's a lot going on um all has implications but yeah. hard to follow and supported from a risk standpoint as well. Of course. Well, exactly. Exactly. Once a risk person, always a risk person. Yeah. yeah that's true. Um, that's true. But we're talking about retail today. Um, yeah. Yes. 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 A, top, a topic you you mentioned a couple of episodes ago that yep. uh, you, we should make an episode about Disney and what they do for retail. So here it is. Uh, today we're talking about the psychology of behind retail. Uh, basically, what retailers do to make you make that purchase how they make you feel good and how they encourage you to do so. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting. But uh, before we get into the technical stuff, uh, Ash, why don't we hit it off by talking about your experience at Disney and how you thought of this topic and like, let's start from there. Yeah. Um, and I think um, the reason kind of came into my head was um, Disney did this thing where um, for anyone who's been to kind of Disney in Florida, it's very expensive, hmm. very expensive to get there. Everything's very expensive. But when you're there, you don't feel like you're being sold to. Um, everything's an experience and everything is kind of very naturally positioned to you. Um, so they do the kind of the old classic of, you know, gift shops at the end of uh, rides. Yeah. But even that's done as in an add-on to your experience rather than very much, you know, sell, 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 sell. Hmm. Um, so it's the subtlety in which they do that, which I think is, is quite uh, slick. Um, the second thing is, um, they, they do this thing where the, the price tag is almost invisible. Okay. Like if you go to a Disney store in, in, in Orlando, like you cannot see price tags. Okay. And, and I was reading about, you know, why they do that. And, and apparently it's to do with, you know, if you want the thing and you want the experience, the price is almost kind of secondary. Yeah. And so it should be about the thing and the experience. And it's all about, you know, kind of encouraging slightly hedonistic behavior, which is, you know, splash the money, enjoy yourself. You know, this mm. is the one time you, this experience is ever going to happen. So it's a once in a lifetime holiday. So, you know, um, so they do a lot of um, sort of memorabilia type, remember the event, remember oh, the day. Yeah. And so you kind of go, and what they've done is they've kind of leveled up, you know, what happens into more boring theme parks, which is you go and you get a picture hmm. and they charge, you know, a couple of quid, five or 10 pounds for the picture at the end of the ride. And, yeah. you know, they're taking a picture of you. Disney do an interesting thing where things like that are actually free. So okay. if you buy park tickets, you know, the photo that you get taken, it all appears on your phone ah. and all the photographers are on the park. They actually take pictures and it's for free. But what they've built is this, this thing about collectibles. Hmm. 
And so everything's a collectible from, you know, the, the thing you drink out of to the pin badges to all sorts of toys and everything else. It's a collectible. So you're part of a collective, part of a community. Yeah. yeah. And they, they encourage, um, you know, to the point, it's, it's nowhere in the world where you will go and someone will point at your badge or your T-shirt and go on oh, and just start randomly chatting to you about, you know, your T-shirt and where you got it from. Because hmm. they've kind of created this society where everyone just kind of, is so slightly obsessed about different um, memorabilia points and, and, you know, c- collecting toys. And, and so, so they make a ton of money on that because it doesn't feel like you're being forced to buy a thing that you're just going to put on a shelf and ignore. Did that? It feels like your things that you're buying have an emotional connection with them. And they yeah. build that emotional connection um, as part of the journey you're on and the ride and everything, the experience. So you, so you kind of go, well, this 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 thing here, I'm not buying a curly toy. I'm buying this thing because it reminds me of me and Sophia going on a ride. So that's always going to remind me of that. It's just, they, they do it in a very kind of clever, subtle way, but it's, 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 it's impressive to see. Yeah, exactly. Because... Um, I've not been to Disneyland myself, but I know since I was very little that it's a once in a lifetime thing. It's going to be the best time of my life when I go and it's going to be really fun. And it's positioned that way as well. You're going yeah. to come here once, you're going to splash yeah. money, you're going to have the time of your life and then go yeah. back. And yeah. the thing you talked about, memor- memorabilia and collectibles. So I think that falls in, that that hits, that aligns with the exclusivity of the yes. experience because yes. not everyone gets to go and you oh i got this from disneyland it's it, something's in your home and you point towards that and so so you don't mind spending the money and another thing you mentioned uh really fun was that they don't charge for you for pictures it just comes into your phone and stuff like that yeah. so it hits your psychology and you just think okay we were supposed to five spend five pounds ten pounds on pictures and stuff okay we yeah. didn't get to spend that and then you end up spending yeah. a lot more because you go in your head, okay, we got something for free. So yeah, so that 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 that's that's really fun about the the experience as well. Yeah, and and I, I used to work in um, retail um, back in the day, and and you know, like there's two of the kind of um, sort of tools you kind of touched on there. So exclusivity is one. Yeah. So it comes in lots of different sort of forms. Um, so if you take gaming, hmm. um, in the world of gaming, you know, there's certain games that are exclusive to a particular console. Yeah. Like this game, you know, everyone's dying to play and it'll be on the PS5 mm. for three months. Mm. And so, you know, if you're an obsessive gamer, people are literally willing to buy the PS5 to play the game. Yes, but I'm, guilty for, I'm guilty of that. Oh, yeah. ex- exactly, because what you don't want to do is hear about it for three months, you know. And if you think about, you know, all the streaming subscriptions, Amazon, Netflix, you know, it's all about, exclusivity yeah you know they'll get certain um you know movies certain shows and they'll be exclusive to that streaming channel for a period of time hmm. and so you kind of go well i'm if i want to go get it i'm gonna to have to go and spend the money hmm. and, and and disney like you said do that really well because um you can only buy certain things in the disney park you can't buy them online yeah. and even in the disney park they're limited to two per person because they don't want lots of online selling then of their products oh. so they kind of create a, a demand um so exclusivity is kind of and the other way you kind of you see exclusivity in retail is to sort of you know brand affiliations hmm. and you'll go you know uh, this is Disney owns, you know, obviously all the rights to the various things. Yeah. So it's, you get the Star Wars is a classic, you know, that whole brand is exclusive to Disney now. You yeah. cannot get Star Wars merchandise that isn't through Disney. 
And and so suddenly you kind of go, right, you know, uh, I want to go to Disney Park because I want to see Star Wars. Hmm. Now you, you might, you know, there was loads of people there who were just going to see the Star Wars bit of Disney. And Disney, like, you know, it's huge and they've probably paid thousands of pounds, but they don't want to see the princesses. They don't want to see the cartoon characters. They want to see the Star Wars bit. Yeah. Um, so exclusivity is, 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 is definitely kind of um, one of the key bits. And, and then the other bit is that kind of... Um, the kind of your relationship with the brand hmm. and there's loads of this kind of, you know, there's loads of research around, you know, people's apathy to switch brands hmm. and we create this emotional reaction to them. And I remember um, my dad, for whatever reason, right. Obsessed with um, Hitachi TVs. Yeah. Right. So when we were kids and, and, you know, we got the first color Hitachi TV and like, I don't know what it was, 1980s or whatever. And it was a Hitachi. Yeah. And then, so my dad then just bought Hitachi. And so as I got older, you know, without realizing, I had this affiliation with Hitachi products huh. for no no logical reason. It wasn't the best TV or anything else. And it really took me a, a while to sort of unpick that, you know, that kind of, um, I've been brainwashed into Hitachi. <laughs> and then I remember buying my first sort of uh, TV that wasn't attached and it was a Sony. Yeah. And then it's funny because then I was almost looking for like, it's kind of like confirmation bias. Yeah. Something happened with it after about six months. And I was like, oh, I should have bought Hitachi. <laughs> and then, you know, I found myself going, what we're talking about, you know, TVs are TVs, there's always going to be some glitches, but yeah. you're then almost looking for, you know, the, the thing, because we're, we're such sentimental, emotional mm. beings. That's true. So if someone creates an emotional uh, connection with you, which Disney does because of your experiences, then you, you it's hard to you know take you away from that brand because you know we're then wired hardwired and chances are you'll pass that on to the next generation and and the funny thing is the opposite is also true so yeah. when i came to the uk i went into a brand a clothing brand i'm not going to say the name because yeah. i don't want to get sued but um, <laughs> i went into that store and i looked at a few clothes and i didn't like yeah. the quality yeah and then i went out of that store and I never went back in again. Never. It's yeah. been two and a half years, never again. Uh, and obviously that's just in my head because of course yeah. the stores chill up, they've got lots of customers. So that means of they're course. good. And maybe yeah, that was yeah, just yeah. one faulty product yeah. that I saw by chance, yeah. but yeah. I'm not going. So the opposite is also true regarding yeah. emotions. And yeah. um, I relate to that thing about Hitachi. You said when you yeah. buy something uh, like apart from what you usually buy, you're like almost looking for something to go wrong for a reason yes. to go back. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah. That's funny. And yeah. and another concept very close to exclusivity um, in some ways is urgency. Yes. So a lot of retailers create urgency. For example, um, online sales, especially. Yeah. So on Amazon, on a lot of retailers, their own websites, uh, yeah. you can see, you, you see uh, offers for sales uh, ending in four hours, ending in one yes. day, 50% uh, off. Now yeah. that 50% off may not be very cheap, but because of the urgency, you're like, okay, I should buy now. I yeah. may not get a chance a week later when I really need it. Yes. And then you end up buying the product. Yeah. And, and that's a brilliant, it's a really, it's a spot technique and it's called fear of loss. Fear, fear of and loss. And it's, it's a, it's, it's similar to kind of, you know, we touched on Ikea last time hmm. and Ikea used that um, hugely. So, you know, for those who've been in Ikea stores and there's always kind of, you know, lots of comedians write jokes about the, the sort of route you have to take through Ikea and the force you to take a, a one-way route. Now, there's literally nothing stopping you taking a shortcut 
you know, through the doors, because there are doors there to take a shortcut. But again, yeah. humanity, we're just like, you know, we're, we're ingrained sheep. So there's an arrow following the arrow. There's an arrow, and also lots of people are following the arrow, so I must follow the arrow. Even if there's a shortcut right there, I'll still follow the arrow. Yeah. And and they use so many techniques cleverly. So they kind of the the other one they use is kind of like uh, the magpie effect, hmm. and the magpie effect connected with fear of loss. So magpie effect basically is as you're walking through that IKEA store, they put things in your peripheral vision yeah. that'll draw your eye to them, hmm. either shiny, bright colors, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then it'll only be like you know one pound twenty five or four you know three pound twenty five or whatever, yeah. and it'll be in a random place. You'll yeah. be kind of going in the bedroom section, and then you'll see you know these little random light bulbs for like two pound or whatever. Yeah. And and the fear of loss is, I don't really want to go back around. Hmm. So I'm going to put it in my car, and then you know I'll see when I'll see if I need it or not, or if I can see anything better before I get to the till. It's yeah. a psychology you kind of go because oh, I don't want to really go around. Hmm. So they've created a barrier for you to not put it in your car. Yeah. And they've created a f- your fear of loss is this, in this occasion is your inconvenience of having to go around the circle again. Yeah. And then what that happens is the other bit of psychology that happens, which is we used to call this merch in hand, merchandise mm. in hand. The other, the other way they call this the endowment effect, mm. which is, you know, good salespeople will physically give you the product mm. in your hand. Yeah. And as soon as you touch it, and when I used to be in that um, uh, that, that sales business, I, again, I won't mention their name, but you know that was we were encouraged to give the product to the customer. Hmm. And if you got the product in the customer's hand, your chance of closing that sale just went up materially. Yeah. And because they form a connection with the product, you they start, do. Yeah, it's called the oh, it's effect. Oh, such good quality. Yeah. Imagine in yeah, your house, yeah, yeah. imagine playing yeah. with it. Yeah, you exactly. Emotional connections. You start yeah. picturing things. Your your life. Uh, the other thing that you know, and you'll see um, a lot of car companies will offer test drives. Yeah, you know, encourage for test drives. They'll even give you some, you know, a treat to come and hmm. do a test drive. And you kind of wonder, you know, why? But same principle. You sit in that car and you go, oh, I can see myself in this car. Yeah. And obviously, that it'll be a nice brand new car. So they're all they're all nice. Uh, and but again, it's you getting physically in the car suggests that you're a much higher percentage of chance of closing the deal now. Um, yeah. And IKEA combine all of that, the magpie effect, the fear of loss, and then the endowment effect. Because once it's in your trolley, the endowment effect kicks in. And what they do, and hence you'll see the way they set up the rooms and the pictures, is you start picturing that product then in your house. Yes. And you go, oh, I can see this lamp in the corner on the table, or I can see these set of chairs over here, and da da da. And as soon as you've done that, then before you, whether you've realized it or not, you've bought the product. Yeah. By the time you get to the tail, you know, and it's so far away that you've got plenty of time to ruminate and think about this stuff. That by the time you get to the tail, you're just going to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's so, so clever the way they do that. I'm really glad you bought up IKEA because yeah. I think that's a very good case study in the psychology behind detail. Um, you, you mentioned the magpie effect. Um, I I'd like to relate that with another thing that they also do. You mentioned you walking through the furniture aisle and you see something shining that it's only a yeah. pound or two pounds. Yeah. So I, I, so another effect that could be related with that is the anchoring effect. Yeah. Uh, so what happens is you're going to look for a sofa. You're going to, I get to purchase a sofa that's 500 yeah. pounds. So you walk through the sofa aisle and okay, 500 pounds, 400 pounds, big numbers, three digits. And you cross that section because that's the layout they've set and you go into an areas where, where it's full of things like one pound bins, two pound uh, pens, stuff like that, small stuff, yeah. pen holders, stuff like that. And you're like, 
that's so cheap because yes. you are anchored to the idea of 500 pounds for a sofa so yeah. 5 pounds 15 pounds 20 pounds seems like nothing in comparison yeah but like, okay i'm getting that sofa for 500 anyway so i just grab this stuff as well and at the end you end up spending 600 pounds 100 pounds yes. or 200 pounds over your budget so yeah. that's one thing i want to say about yeah. uh, talk about anchoring effect and um, what you mentioned was that you uh, look at a sofa and imagine it in your house and you end up and you're more likely to purchase that yeah piece of furniture or item that you're going to because you can actually see it in a real environment uh, yeah. with other furniture around and you can imagine how it would look like in your house yeah the the fun thing about that is so let's say you go and purchase a coffee you're going to purchase a coffee table so when you look at that coffee table in their showroom you also see the rug underneath it you also mm-hmm. see the decorative pieces around it yeah and you see the matching chairs that go very well with it yeah and you're more likely to buy more things yeah because they're just so better than what you imagined and the yeah. coffee table would look so better above that rug under those yeah. decorative pieces so i think that's a very good uh, like thing that ikea do the showroom thing yeah and i think it's another thing that uh, ikea has which is very specific okay so since we're talking about layout let's stick to the layout there's something very good about um, ikea's layout is that when you enter you go to to the showroom you look yeah. at everything especially the big things that's what usually is in the showroom and mm-hmm. you have an idea of what everything is going to cost and you have a list with the paper yeah. and pencil they provide for free of everything of you you like yeah. so you have everything in hand and then you get into the food area and then you order some great meatballs some mashed yeah. potatoes yeah. tasty food some drinks some coffee and you sit down with whoever you went with or alone yeah. and you enjoy your food and you think about those purchases right there yeah. in the shop yeah and you're most likely and and then when you eat food you feel good yes and then you're likely to make that purchase and the second advantage of that is similar to the anchoring effect you're here to buy a 500 pound sofa let's just get a 20 pound meal no worries yeah yeah and that thing has made ikea the 10th largest food retailer in the world in 2017 yeah. i think they made about 2.2 billion in sales yeah billion dollars in sales 2.24 billion to be exact we've clearly done the same research look like we looked at the yeah. same websites <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So that's 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 pretty smart when it comes yeah. to the layout. And and a lot of what they do cuz um I was reading um I forgot what the name of the book is but um they they, they kind of they create a um has written a book around you know how IKEA came about and what what they consider to be very simple concepts which they just execute really well hmm. and the bit about the kind of the, the the lunch and the meatballs is you know they call it the priming effect yeah so you you kind of walk in and and you see this in a lot of places right which is you walk in and the best product or the thing they want you to do is at the front yeah and so whether you realize it or not is you know if you've ever watched a Darren Brown show it's the same trick Uh-huh. So Darren Brown is kind of like you know he's one of these kind of hypnotism type kind of guys and and he'll kind of guess people you know 
numbers, places. He just kind of guesses, but actually a lot of what he does, he'll sometimes show how he's done it. He'll influence you. Oh. And the way he'll influence you is like, you know, you'll, they'll have a video following the person he's going to hypnotize hmm. and they'll see a four, number four on the billboard and then they'll see something else. So, so they'll see lots of the same thing, reinforcing the same idea. So when they realize it or not, that's what they think about. So yeah. with Ikea, you don't know if you notice, but you walk in, massive big picture of a plate of food. Hmm. Now you, you normally walk in in the morning and it's not lunch, but you've now, they've primed you. Yeah. Right. So that's in the back of your mind now. So you're kind of going, oh, food. So when it comes to lunchtime, you know exactly where the food is. You When you go up the stairs into an Ikea store, you kind of walk past the restaurant before you start the, the, the thing. Oh, yes. And if you time it, before you go downstairs into the market bit, it would probably take you to lunchtime. Yeah. They, because the way they did it was most people arrive around 10 o'clock. Hmm. They've said on average it takes an hour to an hour and a half to walk through the store. Yeah. So you get to the restaurant bit by about half 11, 12 o'clock. Hmm. And they've already primed you that they do food. Yeah. And so it's just so cleverly done um, in a way that by the time you get there, you're hungry. The food smells great. You've seen the picture. You know what it looks like. And so you're right. They, they, they sell a ton of food. Yeah. And and the other, you know, back to kind of exclusivity point, um, when you go to the actual shop, because I think, you know, um, to your point about food retailer, hmm. when you go to the food bit in Ikea, I mean, it's not anything you would see anywhere else. You know, it's all about, you know, it's all the Nordic names, you know, it's all in written Swedish names, strange, strange names. So there's a bit of kind of exoticism there. Hmm. It's very exotic and you kind of, oh, I'll buy, you know, this thing, whatever it is, because it's yeah. a bit different. Yeah. And so people just buy random bits of food for no apparent reason, hmm. because it's just a bit different and a bit exotic and people don't go to Ikea for food shopping. So people stock up. Because they just go, I'm not going to come here again. So they buy like about 50 dime bars or, you know, they buy this or they buy that and they buy yeah. random things in volumes they would never buy. Yeah. Um. So, and a little bit of that is to, to what you were saying, you know, the anchoring effect. You've just spent probably, you know, 500 plus pounds in an Ikea store. Yeah. And then you go past the food bit and then you go, what, well, I'm going to spend 20 pounds on food. That's fair fine. Enough. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And it's back to that kind of that Disney style about not charging you for certain things. Hmm. The food in Ikea, if you think about it, you know, as you leave, there's a, a really kind of a, a cheap and cheerful hot dog bit before yeah, you leave. Yeah, yeah, and then, yeah. At the end, but it's really kind of, you don't feel cheated. Hmm. Everyone comments on how reasonable it is. Yeah. You know, you can buy like a, a hot dog for like two pounds, if that. Yeah. yeah. And, and you can buy an ice cream for a quid. So you feel like actually they're not cheating me. Hmm. So... And, and it's such a clever tactic because that costs them very little, but they're probably serving the food at near cost. Yeah. But then you you're, you think of Ikea as someone that's not going to cheat me. Hmm. So therefore the 500 pound plus you've just spent on the furniture, you apply that same logic to. And you go, well, flipping hell, the hot dogs are really reasonable. They only charge you. So that must be means their furniture margins are really low. And I'm yeah. actually getting a really good price on my furniture I've just bought. Yeah. And it's a, brilliant tactic that you know doesn't cost them any money but it creates this actual such a solid um kind of um trick mental trick that people walk away thinking i must have had a fantastic deal because everything in ikea is so cheap you know yeah. the lunch is cheap and um i got you know a hot dog so for the family for like four pounds yeah um, yeah so clever yeah yeah and just one last point on IKEA. Uh, you think you? I think you touched a bit upon it. 
uh, was that the stores are out of the city and yeah. the last time i ordered something from ikea i think delivery charges were around 40 pounds or something yeah that that's 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 a lot that's not an average yeah. delivery charge for something but um that just adds uh, that sunk cost fallacy concept to it so you're basically going a bit out of the city you're taking half an hour's drive or yeah. you're ordering something home for 40 pounds so you want to get the most out of your uh, money yeah. and so you're like okay so i'm ordering a table and it's going to cost me 40 pounds so if i order two chairs with as well it's still going to cost me 40 pounds for delivery yeah. so okay, let's add yeah. that on it similarly yeah. if you go to the store you've got that in your head okay i'm coming here it it took it takes a lot of time to come here i spend a lot of time here i'm not going to come here every month every week yeah so better get a lot of stuff and make it worthwhile yeah Or maybe that's just me <laughs> no no i no no i think uh, yeah. everyone's same regards like you always spend more than you want yeah um and and i think it's you know it's, it's even to the exclusivity because i think in scotland there's only one ikea no there's two uh, i'm sure there's two, two now there's one in oh, glasgow and one is one in edinburgh okay fair enough but i don't know, know if there think... are more but i know about these two so there's but there's not many yeah and many. and that's the other conscious thing about exclusivity so they're not everywhere yeah. you know so it becomes an event for you hmm. um the other thing just kind of broadening beyond kind of uh, ikea is um this thing about kind of um choice overload hmm. and again one of the kind of um really kind of clear um i guess it is the psychology of sales and and the way they position themselves is very similar to you know apple yeah. and if you think about apple um when it comes to phones and ipads hmm. very simple you know there's you know if you exclude all the you know every two years you need to upgrade your phone yeah. but the principle is very similar you know you get a phone you've got an ipad mini an ipad and then you've got kind of you know laptops and etc yeah. but there isn't many kind of products it's quite quite um simple yeah and, and even IKEA in those this, products yeah. they're like two choices you can get black white um yeah. i think oh, it's yeah, rose exactly. gold simple exactly two memory yeah. uh two memory options something like that yeah yeah it's simple. Like easy for you exactly and and that's the point it's it's there's a thing called choice overload yeah and again you know if you go to ikea and you want to buy furniture you could probably everyone can probably memorize now you mm. know what the different colors are you know there's oak effect there's white there's beach yeah. you know there's like five different color choices yeah. and they're the five consistent color choices no matter what furniture you buy Yeah. And no matter how many times you ask for a different color or a slightly different, they don't care. They go right. We do the five, and that's the five we do. Keep yeah. it simple. Yeah. And 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 it it helps on so many different levels because obviously there's the um, there's this choice overload thing, which is as 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 humans, if you give us a choice of a hundred things, it's going to mm. take us longer to make a decision. Mm. And if it takes me longer to make a decision, and I'm in your store stood around, then I'm chances are I'm going to delay my decision. and therefore i may go and buy it somewhere else yeah from you know um, or a different product yeah. so you need to kind of trim the choice down now mm. people do that in different ways if you've got companies like apple and ikea who sell their own product mm. they reduce the choice down and they just go right we only do phone a or phone b memory a or memory b right easy ikea just go we do five colors right easy other ways it's done is through sales people mm. and the job of a sales person 
Um, you know, because when you go buy a car in like a Arnold Clark, you know, they sell every single car of every single company, right? Mm. So you choice overload instantly. You've read about a million reviews all telling you this car's good, that car's good. And you're like, I'm overwhelmed. I have no idea. So I need a salesperson. And so the salesperson then, you know, you put a lot of trust in that person. Mm. So then the salespeople have to kind of give you credibility, because if they're not credible, then you immediately think you're being cheated. And and obviously sale car salesmen get a reputation. That's true. Um and so what what the job what a salesperson really did is doing is is doing the choice bit for you hmm. by trimming down your choices to car A and car B. That's kind yeah. of what they're doing. And a good salesperson, you know, knows how to do that, where they where they listen to your needs, they listen to what you're doing, and then they go, right, you've got Choice A and choice B, you know, yeah. and that might be you go for luxury or economy. Take a pick. Luxury mm-hmm. costs you a bit more. This is what economy does, but primarily they do both do the same thing. So you choose. Yeah. And then you feel like, right, I can make a choice now because I'm not trying to choose between a hundred. Yeah. And, and, and that's a, yeah. Go. And and that's and that's what a lot of um um clothing brand brands do as well, especially the high-end ones. They have yeah. uh, salespeople in the store that can actually advise you on fashion, yeah. what would go with these pair of pants, yeah. what would go b- good with this jacket. And yeah. um, instead of looking at 20 jackets, they say, okay, yeah. these two, three designs will go good with you. And, yes. um, and because they're talking confidently and they seem like they know what they're talking about, you trust them. You're like, okay, yeah, yeah. if you say it's these two, I'll probably get one of these. Yeah. And, it, and you can, and they, they actually very smartly include upselling into that. Yeah. Okay, so if you're buying this, these pants and uh, this coat, uh, get this tie or get these shoes, they look really good with yeah. it. They're on yeah. sale as well. So, yeah. and they're only sale for three days. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same, and it's the same techniques. There you go. Cause, like, you know, anchoring again, right? Yeah. Your, suits, your suit costs 500. So, you know, spending 20, 30 pounds on a tie seems reasonable. Yeah. Fear, fear of loss. Hmm. You go, right? Well, this is there's a sale on today. You know, it's the usual. Oh, we've got a sale on today or a manager special. Hmm. And then the last one is kind of merchant hand. Yeah. You know, once you've wore the suit and looked at yourself in the mirror, you know, you've you wore it, you've already pictured going out in that suit and going, oh, I'm gonna look I'm gonna look the bees knees in this um bright, bright green suit. Yeah. Um, um so 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 yeah, it's the same kind of techniques and and, and you're quite right, you know. Um where it you can tell where it works if you look at, you know, the next time you go shopping. Um, you'll you'll see it. You know, you'll see the psychology in action. A, a good store that's successful will either have really good salespeople that are really switched on and are able to pin down your choice for you, or they'll have products in a way that are simple to choose from, hmm. and they are just kind of like you know t-shirt in black, blue, and green. Yeah. Right. So you know, easy go go pick your colors. Yeah. Um, and it's it's one of the two, and the ones that aren't successful, then what they try to do is it's they'll be focusing on another one um mm. which is kind of you know savings the mm. the impression of saving money is, yeah. is the other kind of tactic and 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 um sports direct just do that constantly mm. so sports direct you know famously um doesn't pay or train its staff particularly mm. well mm. um and and so when you go to sports direct and interesting enough um uh, my daughter started playing um, football and so we went to get some football boots so uh, i played football before so i kind of know what to get and yeah. and she's playing on kind of astroturf and, and grass but actually when you go to sports direct because they sell every brand of everything hmm. i mean there was literally the choices were you know hundreds of different football boots anything from 20 pounds to 300 pounds yeah and so you could be quite easily overwhelmed now 
the staff isn't particularly well trained there and they're not necessarily salespeople. But what they do in Sports Direct, the one tactic is it's cheap. Hmm. It's all about, you know, cheap, cheap, cheap discounts. There's discount signs everywhere. You know, you can't move for getting a discount sign in your face, you know, yeah. it's sale here, 50% off. And, and you know, the handwritten, there's a kind of a, a crude bit to it, which suggests someone's just come along and gone, ah, oh, I've slashed this price in half and it's now half the price. Yeah. And so they're really going for the kind of the sort of the market vibe of, you know, these things are, are going to go and they're going to go now and they're going to go cheap. So buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it, buy it. Yeah. And it's a completely different sales tactic to, you know, an Apple store where you walk in, you won't see a price anywhere. You'll never see a sales price, a sales mm-hmm. ticket in an Apple store ever because yeah. Yeah. they go for quality of product and yeah. their sales staff and, and they'll kind of talk to you and then they'll be not pushy at all. They'll talk to you and if you don't buy a phone, they'll not be bothered. Um, and it's and they famously don't incentivize their staff for sales yeah. because they don't want to incentivize that behavior. Yeah. But it's really interesting how different um, retail companies take a different uh, sort of strategy and then just go full on. That's my strategy, and I'm going to go to da, da, da. Yeah, and then I think there are sub strategies as well because, for example, we know that Aldi, Lidl, they're known for um, lower priced goods. Yeah, but then Tesco does an Aldi price match on its yes. items. So you'll go and look for groceries and you'll see, oh, that's the same price as Aldi. Okay, let's get that. Yes. And uh, so I guess that um, like this, the way you display your sales prices, the way you display your discounts and the frequency you put them and the amount you put discounts on, that actually affects uh, sale prices. Actually, I was at, um, I heard something that some retailers actually increase the prices, calling them discounts. Mm-hmm. I'm, yes. I'm not I'm, I'm not sure if that's true or not but i tried it out at a store yeah. actually yeah. uh scrubbed a little bit of the price tag of, of the sale tag off yeah and i saw a larger number behind that yeah so i guess i'm not sure what what they're trying to do over there i guess it's this thing is on sale it's gonna run out buy it now and it's cheaper yeah. than it was before so yeah. just things like no. this uh yeah. matter as well but um talking about aldi something came to mind what was it yes when I go to Aldi and Lidl, I'm most excited about those metal baskets in the middle. Like I'm <laughs> everyone, going to get everyone fruit is... and groceries and I don't care. I'm just- That's mag- magpie effect. Magpie so, effect. That's what it is. Random stuff that you would never think of buying. You know, and then you suddenly come home with a full wetsuit and a wakeboard and you and go, right, I'm, in, I'm, I'm stuck in the middle of Edinburgh. What am I going to do? Different stuff every time <laughs> as well. Yeah. yeah. So it's, yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting the the kind of the the Tesco thing because you know um, saying we'll I'll do price match and and if I if I was kind of you know um, if I was advising Tesco you know I would advise them against that because 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 what they're doing there right is they're acknowledging Aldi is the is their go to target yeah. that's the that's that's you know Aldi by definition is going to be the lowest price right? yeah. so they're reinforcing that position by doing that yeah. and they're saying look we're going to compete and price match with Aldi. Hmm. So that's fine on the things you price match, but then you're not going to have a label against every single item in your store. And therefore, by definition, you're going to go, well, this is now not price matched with Aldi because only those things over there are price matched. So I may be cheaper just going to Aldi and buying all my stuff from Aldi, which is kind of what's happening. Tesco is losing a lot of business to Aldi and Lidl. And, um, you know, 
there's also this kind of cultural shift from moving, you know, going to the big, the big Tesco superstores out out of town, and people are moving closer back to, you know, communities, and you'll see, you know, Tesco Express type stuff opening and yeah. uh, Tesco Metro rather. Um, so I, I think sometimes those things kind of um, do backfire. Um, but yeah, the, the kind of the the sort of inflating of the price. I mean, it's it's an interesting one because there's this RRP which no one in theory ever uses, mm-hmm. but the RRP is always meant to be really high. Okay. So you can discount. Huh. And, you know, if, if you've been to, you know, any kind of Ooh. African country or Asian country and you've tried to buy something, you know, they'll charge you about 50 times what you're supposed to charge because they yeah. expect you to haggle. Yeah. And, and I remember um, last time I was in uh, Marrakesh and being British, you know, uh, my haggling skills have oh. got a lot rustier. Um, whereas, you know, my mum my would disown me if she saw how bad my haggling skills was. Cause I used to, I remember going shopping with my mom yeah. and my mom's, um, sort of first generation emigrated from uh, Pakistan. Uh, my goodness, she could haggle, you know, she, she, she would have, you know, made some of these hard no CEOs embarrassed, but that's just cause it's an expectation that your price is always the highest price. Yeah. It's part of the culture. Part of the culture, and the same happens now in the UK. And I was reading this interesting article, which is, say, you go to like a shopping centre, you know, like in uh, we've got Silverburn in Glasgow, yeah, and you walk along the sort of corridors of these big shopping centres, and you kind of glance left and right at the windows. Now, most people, most shops these days have a sales sign. Hmm. Something is on sale, hmm. and therefore the shops that don't have a sales sign, the footflow is a lot lower. Hmm. Because you're kind of going, oh, there's no sale on today. I'm not even going to bother. And so we, we've kind of, we created this culture where before sales used to be the exception. You know, when it was a sale, it was a genuine sale. It happened very rarely to, you know, the frequency of sales has gone through the roof where some shops, you know, like Sports Direct being one, sales signs are on constantly. Yeah. And therefore we kind of now train to look for sales signs. And if we don't see a sales sign, we think I'm not paying RRP. Yeah. I want at least some element of a discount. So we'll just not even go anywhere near those stores that don't have a sales sign. Yeah, that's that's true, Ash. And um, speaking about malls, you notice that whenever you're in a mall, yeah, and you're going up or down, you actually have to on the escalators. You can't actually go up continuously. After every floor, you have to make a quick round, and then go up. And that's the same in malls, and that's the same in uh, stores as well. Yep. So I I went to into Marks and Spencers, and every time I go. And I want to go to the top section, which is the men's section. I have to walk through every section every time. And I'm like, why yeah. do they do this? And I know why they do this. So I look at other stuff and then I buy other stuff, which I'm not going to buy. And um, I think that's a smart tactic as well. Uh, yeah. Same goes for malls. You, you're going to one store at the top, but because yeah. you have to make the rounds after every level, yeah, you look at other stores and that draws your attention and you, you end up going in those. Yeah, which is, um, you know, you're, you're spot on. And which is also a similar when you find that Tesco or, or Asda or any of the supermarket, they swap shelves around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and everyone's like, oh, my goodness, it's so frustrating because I just figured out where the milk was and I just figured out, well, actually, the milk stays in the same place, but all the other stuff moves around. Yeah. And and obviously, same reason. You know, you're now going to go off to find your can of beans and you're going to have to go and look at other shelves and see other products you might want to buy. Yeah. Um, and... And yeah, so so they they're kind of very clever. They they do that, but they do it infrequently enough that it doesn't going to annoy you, hmm. but enough that every so often you get to see different products 
place there. Yeah. And even they've done this thing um, where say a product's kind of um, selling really well in one store, but not in another, yeah. then they'll kind of figure out, well, why is that? You know, is it, is it cause it's the way it's placed? Cause obviously the, the shelf that's the most uh, valuable is the middle shelf. Hmm. Because that's that's you know the average eye level. Eye lane, yeah. So you know even like you know the big the big brands tend to be there. And then the the only you know the Tesco only as the only brand tends to be at the bottom shelf, mm. and the Heinz beans will be, you know, front and center. Yeah. And so there's something about kind of like you know um, it's a bit like um, when you do websites, and I forget the, the the technique, but you know when you're testing a website to see from a user perspective how good it is. Yeah you can do the assessment where you get an assessment back and it shows you the kind of the reds and yellows and et cetera of where people have looked on your website. Yeah. And they kind of say, you know, people tend to read websites, you know, pictures first and then, then they'll read, et cetera. So it kind of shows you that. And then you go, all right, I need to redesign my website because people are looking at the wrong thing. Hmm. The same applies to, you know, shops and stores and everything else, because they want to draw your attention to the thing they want you to buy the most. Yeah. Um, and and if it doesn't work, then they'll they'll kind of go back and and test it, um, and and just sorry, and final point, some going back to Disney full circle. Disney do this. I was I was I was reading. Uh, I was chatting to one of the the sort of guys who works in Disney, and he was mm. really interesting. And he was saying they do this thing where they they mystery shop in Disney, and the way the mystery shop is, they approach every ride from as many different angles as they can. Okay. Because they're saying your experience in approaching a ride should be the same. Hmm. So what you don't want is if you come from the left, it's a really boring experience. You're walking past dustbins and and then you get to the ride, suddenly it appears. Yeah. Whereas the other one, you get all this lovely experience. So they want every experience from every angle to be equal. That's smart. So they get people who just spend the whole day walking around the park looking at things from different angles and going, oh, hold on a minute, this looks a bit below par from this angle, so we need to do something and judge it up and make it look interesting, yeah. which I thought was a, another um, clever way of sort of testing. It's a bit like, you know, user user interface testing of a website. Yeah. You know, you get you get UX designers who, who spend the whole time coming and going, yeah, your website needs work because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. That's really interesting. I wonder, I wonder how people think of stuff like this, these ideas. I guess yeah. it's just the culmination of years of retail and experience yeah. and everyone who's done it before you and just, you just gather yeah. everything from everywhere. It is. And like you said, it's some of it is like old techniques. Cause if mm. you, if you remember the old days of people used to knock on your door and sell you encyclopedias yeah. or sell you vacuum cleaners yeah. and there would be like three levels, which is, you know, if you open the door and I could speak to you for more than like, you know, 10 seconds, then I've passed the first stage. If I can get inside the house, yeah, you know, I if I can get you to try a vacuum cleaner, right, mm. chances are you sold. Yeah. And it's the same technique, you know, it's fear of loss. Oh, I'm just in the area today. I won't be here again. I've got yeah. discounts, fear of loss, merchant hand, you know, I'm going to let you play around with the thing. And then, you know, so it's all the same techniques. And what's happened is, you know, they've been perfected, perfected, perfected. Yeah. And then, you know, the, all the kind of, color and digitalization appears around it but it's the same techniques from years ago um but yeah um 
I think that's probably, um, we've covered so much there today, Sal. There's clearly, a, um, it reminds me of my old days of retail. Um, I do, uh, the bit I miss about retail is like the constant customer interaction. Yeah. I used to love that because I used to find every customer was a was a challenge and an interesting um, thing where you go, right, what's the outcome going to be today? Um, but I think, I think, I guess, you know, what we've kind of talked about really is there's a clear distinction and um, connection between psychology and and retail and yeah. if you get it right it's hugely successful if you get it wrong then you know it's usually the end of that company mm-hmm. um so it'll be interesting as as our, our listeners walk around the stores and go into the local shopping centers and malls um see if you spot any of the things we've talked about and see if your personal experience have been um anything like that and as always um uh, you know subscribe share and comment uh, it's always good to hear from you guys um, but yeah, I think that's uh, us for this week. So, uh, so uh, I'll just say thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you next week. Yeah. See you next week. Goodbye.